You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Kesky of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Today's guest on Fly on the Call is Barty Strange. Last Friday, he dropped his debut album, Live Forever, and certainly one of the most ambitious and unique projects of 2020. Blending everything from rap to country to R&B with a wide array of rock subgenres, Barty's voice is the unifying factor throughout. Believe the hype and give Live Forever a spin as soon as you possibly can. In case you missed it, yesterday I released a Greatest Hits bonus episode featuring hand-picked favorite moments from the first year of the podcast. The lineup includes Silverstein, Meet Me at the Altar, Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, Glass Beach, and Proper. It's a great crash course for new listeners, so please feel free to share it with any friends you think would dig the show. Take me back to when you're heading out to record the album. How are you kind of feeling? How did things flow? What was the energy like uh, in the barn? I just, you know, I remember wanting to record the record. And, you know, I, I had reached out to Jamie in, in December um, and said, like, you know, hey, like, I've got this song that I like um, and I'm about to go record a record um, and I really want to work with you. And, I was really excited because I had a really clear picture of what I thought the record could be. And I remember what getting the players together, everyone was just really excited. Like we all kind of went into it with this idea that we wanted to like, we, we weren't thinking, Oh, let's make like the best record or anything. We were just like pumped to make it together. It was like me, Brian D'Amelio, Carter, Zumptabell, you know, um, uh, Dylan, um, God, what's his last name? He plays for, um shit i'm horrible i'm forgetting everything <laughs> anyways justin foster all types of people from brooklyn were in the room it was pretty sick um and you know we were all in different bands and we had just always been like oh like it'd be so sick to be in a band together or to play together or to like do something um he plays an alto polo there um dylan <laughs> tracy sorry god damn was, like one of my best friends i could not let that go i was like no i but um anyways yeah like you know it was just all these people that you know I've really respected and always wanted to play with and finally got us all in a room and we were just like, yo, let's track it. Let's do it ourselves. Let's mix it ourselves. Let's kind of prove to ourselves that we know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, and, and like, and that's what we did. It was like a fun experiment for all of us. And, um, you know, it was really exciting because it was kind of like a dream, you know, like, Oh yeah, let's leave in the wintertime and go to upstate New York and record a record in a barn. You know, it felt very, <laughs> um fairy tale and i was stoked to be able to like organize it and like mm -hmm. you know it, it'd be my my music so it was cool for sure yeah i mean how have you kind of i know the plan was you know originally to kind of like self-release it much sooner than now but how did you kind of like keep that energy going for yourself 
Um, well, I put it down, you know, I, you know, I talked to Jamie a lot about the record, you know, she was like, you know, we need to build, we need to create a situation where it's going to do okay. Like if we have a label or not. So like, let's find like a booking agent, let's find like a manager, you know, like we, we were really, so after the record was done, we were like, okay, let's like build a team around the record basically. Mm-hmm. And on that journey of doing that is how I met um, Alec and from Brassland Records, who, you know, ended up putting out Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy. Um, we were actually like pitching him on like Live Forever, you know, and mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, I would love to, but the National just put out a record and it's all I'm doing this year. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They're a pretty big band. And, uh, and I pitched him on the EP idea and he was into it and, and that and once that happened, it was like, oh, okay, like, let's slow down on releasing Live Forever and let's, like, focus on this EP mm-hmm. and, like, continue to build a team for Live Forever, but use this EP as a way to introduce myself to, like, you know, the, the world, I guess, so. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah, and how was it, you know, once the EP was out and everything was set that in there, how was it kind of, like, picking it back up and getting back into, like, the mindset of the, the full length? I mean, I feel like things just never stopped because the full length was always like the guiding light. You know, it was like the EP was great because it got things together for the full length (laughs) and it built, it built a, like an audience that I don't think I would have right now if um, I was just putting out the full length. I mean, also like that EP was like one of the most fun things we ever made. Like it was awesome. And like, after we wrote it, I was just like, oh my God, I want to put that other record out so bad. Like, I just want, I want to put out two records this year. I think it'd be so good to do that. And then when we met Will at Memory Music, it was just like, it just all happened so organically. It was like, literally like the week that Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy was going out, we signed with Memory Music. It was so like, it was almost like one couldn't have happened without the other. You know, it was, yeah, it was great. When I first put on um, the Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, once I, when I got it on vinyl, I feel like it was like a whole different experience hearing it, you know, in that way versus, you know, just hearing it like in the car off my phone and stuff. It, it was really like, I'm really excited to hear Live Forever on vinyl now too. <laughs> oh, dude. I, I can't wait to hear it on vinyl because Will mastered it. So I just know it's going to be great, you know, and uh, I've never had, you know, I, I, I was so impressed with like how Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy sounded because I recorded it super minimally. Like a lot of it was just in my room um, here in my house, but, and like a little bit at a studio in New York called Black Lodge, which is now no longer there in that place. So, you know, it was super like basic shit, but um, yeah, Live Forever, it's got, it's such a unique, we recorded it in a barn, like it wasn't treated, you know, like it, it's, I'm just excited to hear where I was and, you know, it, it's just going to be cool to relive everything you know it's, it's gonna be fun i'm excited about that for sure yeah and i mean ever since i uh saw you last year live i've been like super excited for the new music because i feel like it captures like such a different energy than you know the stuff you put out in the past can you talk a little bit about, about like bringing that energy into the recording studio sure yeah um i think it's pretty easy for me to i mean when i get it yeah i, I love my songs and i love performing them and in a studio of course I'm trying to be a little more careful but I mean I I feel like I play pretty passionately and sing passionately there and it's easier for me to like access that like the heart of the songs I guess um 
I've definitely worked with artists that, you know, the, the live feel is drastically different than the studio feel, but I, I really tried to make the record feel live. Like, you know, it's not pristine. Like there's notes where I'm like, not totally on pitch. You know, there's, it's weird. Like the guitars aren't in time all the time. It, it feels very loose to me um, and organic. And I, I like that about the album. And I like that, like, you know, we, we used space a lot to kind of inject liveness into the, the tracking. And what I mean by that is like, we had like microphones all over the house and all over the barn that we just left on. And like, we let those tracks run through the songs. Um, so like you can, it feels like you're in the barn to me. Like it, you know, like on songs like I'm Fallen For You, like we recorded it live with like a stereo microphone in the middle of the room. And I just walked around the room and sang it. And like in the recording, you can feel like the floorboards creak and like you can hear my feet move from the left headphone to the right and back and forth all the way around. And it's a, it's a great proximity effect, but I also feel like it, makes a listener feel the space and maybe hopefully feel like they're there. Um, so, you know, I, that was some ways for me to kind of make it feel more live um, because it's just not perfect. It's, you know, it, it does not overly produced. It's just, you know, rock songs, you know, <laughs> it sounds like just some good, some songs, you know, so. I know you're kind of like self-taught as far as the production stuff goes. Um, what was it kind of like the process, you know, from when you started doing it up to, you know, getting the, the album done? Oh man. Well, I learned so much. Like um, Brian D'Amelio is like one of my best friends and he like engineered the record um, and like did the most of the mixing on it too. Um, he's just like a wizard and uh, he has like been someone who's helped kind of guide me as I've learned how to like record and with forever was one of the first records that I really got to really record all the way, you know, like, um, and like, you know, I told Brian, like when we started, I was like, yeah, man, like I would go to a studio, but like, I just want to like learn how to do this shit even better. And I feel like this is a good opportunity for me to like learn some things that I can't learn in my apartment or in like the really small studios that I work out of sometimes. Like I really want to learn, the whole piece like all of it and he was like yeah well, let's do it ourselves and and he like you know was just so dope and guiding me and like helping me understand like what how to get the things I was hearing in my head and that was really empowering and I mean I definitely wouldn't be working at a studio right now if it wasn't <laughs> for that <laughs> like I definitely learned a lot and it like kind of lit a fire in me I was like oh shit like I, I'm I love this <laughs> you know, I love I not only do I love writing songs but I love producing uh, I was like I, this is like the best and you just get to practice all the things you want to do on your own stuff I hate to say that like I know probably a client will hear this or a potential one will hear this but you know I look at every record as like a way for me to try something new that I may do like one day like you know I'm like I'm like oh like maybe let's like you know run this echoplex right into a tape machine and then like run it into the pedal board and track it in through like a 1073 and let's see what it does. You know, it's fun now. Like I have a space where I can do that. And so like, it's a, uh, you know, it's whatever. I'm, I'm a nerd, I guess. I'm nerding <laughs> now, but it's like, it's, it's amazing. You know, I learned a lot in that experience and it definitely it was like the beginning of more things like say goodbye to pretty boy. Like we tracked that too. So I was like, cool. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I love this shit. And I think for like the next record, like, I don't know if I'm going to track it just because 
tracking a record kind of takes you out of writing the record. Like, you're like, I would like to just be in the artist chair and not worry about like the mic placement necessarily. So <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like that kind of learning process kind of makes sense with what I've seen you say about, you know, the, your writing process where you kind of like start with a loop or piano part and just kind of go on and start like collecting sections and then figuring out how to piece them together after that. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, so like, I guess with um, engineering, like I like, the thing I like about producing is like, you can look at a piece of a song and dream up the rest and be like, Oh, I, I have a vision for what this song can become. And like, that's pretty easy for me to do with other people's music because it's all about making decisions quickly. Like being like, oh, like naturally this part makes me feel like this next part should be there. I'm making that decision. Let's try it right now. Like, you know, like being a good producer, I feel like is all about making decisions and having everyone in the room trust you so that you can like kind of steer the ship in a timely and effective manner. (laughs) You know, it's like half project management, half creative. And I feel like when, but when I'm writing music, I think it's fun, you know, basically like the process you've described and the process that I'm, that I do is like, I don't want to make decisions early when I'm making my music. Like I want to collect all the possibilities and I want to look at them for a while and start just plugging them into each other and seeing what makes sense. And, you know, so when I'm in the studio working on my own stuff, it's really hard for me to draw the line between now I'm done searching for possibilities. Now I'm making decisions. Like it's, it's hard for me to do that. It's almost like writing something that you're way too close to. Like eventually you just like need an editor. And I feel like that's like what a good producer would be for me. Like someone, you know, like I'll probably work with Will. Yep. On my next thing probably. And like, Will is one of the best, I think he's one of the best producers in the world. (laughs) And I think, and I think he's that way because he like knows how to like, he's just been around so much music that he's going to have great ideas and he has a high, like he's, he's a great executor. Like he can do everything. So, you know, someone like that would be really (laughs) beneficial for me. um, So I'm not like spending too much time worrying about a snare sound, you know, like that's not it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like having that sort of process, like the, the kind of piecemeal process, how do you think it kind of like affects the, the final product, final product for you? Um, I normally feel pretty confident in it. Like, you know, because I've spent so much time on it and I really do believe that time is like the crucial component to great music and a great art. Like at some, nothing, no, there's no art that's just created that it, just on accident. That's, that's incredible. Like someone may say it is, but, something always leads up to it and there's always some aspect of refinement and I feel like you know for music and recording you know it's really like you know you can show someone a song and like it's all about just finding out like what is like the nut of this song like what is the like at at its core like what is making this song work and like building around only that and like knowing when to stop. So you're kind of saying like once you get to the point where you're ready to record it. You kind of feel like you're very confident about it. Is that what you're saying? Kind of. Yeah. Basically I'm like, I've like, I've looked at the song so many ways, like, <laughs> you know, like I've tried everything and this is the thing. I, this is the nut of the song. Like 
this is the thing that's good about it. And this is like what we're going to build around, you know, like that's, that's, that's why I like that process um, when I'm writing, but you know, there is like a point where you have to like draw the line in the sand and be like, okay, like this is as good as I can make this thing. Like who's going to help, <laughs> um, which is, I like writing like that too. Like I'm pretty collaborative. I don't, I don't write very many things by myself. Another one of the kind of like big, you know, ideas behind your music that I've seen you talk about is kind of, you know, showing people how all these genres are connected, you know, like rap, country, hardcore, post-rock, all these different kind of areas. And I, I feel like it's kind of one thing to listen to all those types of music, but it's got to be another thing kind of teaching yourself how to perform them and how to combine them and how to record them. Uh, like, what is that kind of process like for you? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just, always, I was naturally attracted to those areas. Like, I, you know, I loved, like, Slow Dive, and I loved, like, The Bled, and I loved Kings of Leon, TV on the Radio, and 50 Cent, and, <laughs> like, you know, Freddie Gibbs, and Mad Villain, and, you know, Georgia Muldrow, and, Eric, you know, I loved them. Like, I, I, I just loved that music. I loved Kirk Franklin. I loved Teddy Pendergrass. I loved Parliament. I loved Bootsy. I loved... Not Nina Simone. Like I loved it, all of it. I just loved it, and I wanted to do all of it. And um, I so I that's all I did. <laughs> I, I I tried to record songs that sounded like them. I played in bands that sounded like them. I tried to sing like them. I would copy their dance moves. I would. <laughs> I, I idolized those things my whole life, you know, and always wanted to do it, you know, and. Uh, I don't know like <laughs> so I don't know it was never a like oh I want to get better at post-rock songs or you know I was just like only listening to Don Caballero and Battles and like Texas is the Reason and <laughs> all these bands that were super proggy and I was like oh I'm gonna learn all their songs on guitars you know and you just start all of it just becomes you you know like you just like one day you're just like playing in a band and you're like, oh, that's a thrice riff. Like definitely, you know, something from Juturna or like, oh, that's a balance and composure, like breakdown, or that's a me without you, like vocal style or bear versus shark or colossal, you know, like all these bands that just come out and how you play. And then you write songs and they're all there too. My introduction to you was through the, the Bartiz and the Strange Fruit EP, which was, you know, more so, you trying to do a specific type of sound, I feel like. What was it that kind of led you to, you know, having the confidence and having the, you know, just the drive to like go for something that's more than just, you know, one specific sound where you are combining all these different sounds? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was also a, like, that was like a fun recording project for me. And I, that was one, another component, like of why I wanted to do that thing. Cause I was getting really into recording equipment and, that was like a way to kind of try all the things I'd learned. And also like, I think I always wanted to do the project I'm doing now, but I just didn't feel, I don't think I was this clear on what I wanted it to be. And that was just like one of the steps that I took to kind of further investigate the music and, and the songs, you know, um, there's actually like, there's like many sections on live forever that are kind of rooted in those um Bartice and the strange fruit songs um you know so you know it was like a it was something that i, I like had to do to kind of get to this point i guess like a pit stop i guess mm -hmm. for sure yeah and i mean 
you know, talking about all the diverse range of sounds on the album, I'm, I'm curious what was kind of like your mindset going into the sequencing, you know, to make sure that like listeners weren't kind of like lost along the way. Um, I've kind of thought of it in like terms of like acts, like act one, act two, act three, you know, and like, what's the best way? I was like, okay, if someone only listened to three songs, like what, like if they listen to the first three songs, like what would they need to be to get someone to the fourth song? You know, like that's <laughs> kind of how I was thinking. And like, you know, Jealousy is kind of a sleepy track, but I think it sets up Mustang really well. And then like Mustang flying right into Boomer just feels like a good way to keep the energy up. And then like Boomer and In a Cab and then Stone Meadows and Moss Blurred, like it represents like a shift in like the story mm-hmm. but also like there's like a tonal shift that all feels kind of similar to me like in a cab stone meadows moss blurred flage god they all feel darker and i thought that was like a, just an appropriate act like and then like the final four songs um you know i thought that like they felt kind of like triumphant and like they moved upward and so I thought that would be a nice way to end the record. Um, and some songs just had to be like the last song. Like Ghostly is just like a final song, song, like period. Uh, and I like totally like, it was at a time when I was just like really into like Frank Ocean, like way too, like way too in to Frank Ocean. And like, I, was, I was like, I, I had to perform like a white Ferrari cover for this podcast. And I just like, that the whole form of that song just like blew me away. And so I wanted to write something like it. And and so like ghostly is like literally a fucking carbon copy form rip of like of white Ferrari and like not as well executed, but like a fun experiment and like taking a story and like splitting it in half and, you know, really two songs in one. Like I thought it was fun. Yeah, I mean, that's funny that you mentioned, like, the kind of act structure, because I definitely picked up on that as well. Like, uh, the uh, the last kind of, like, quarter of the record, like, Far, Fallen Through You and Ghostly are kind of, like, I feel like those felt kind of, like, the easiest for me to pick out in that way. Like, they felt kind of, they kind of feel the most, you know, intimate and personal, and like you said, kind of, like, triumphant as well. How did the, the like, how did that kind of structure end up coming together for you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, this is how I thought it sounded the best, and I felt like those acts you know, like I was talking about, like that was kind of my thought process. And, you know, these just felt like they flowed best. And, you know, I cut a bunch of songs off the record. Like originally there was like 17 tracks on the record and, you know, it was way too much, you know, <laughs> like I just, you know, I got some really good advice, I think from this guy named Terrence, um, who's like Fusilier's manager. And he was like, yo, like, you got to cut at least five songs, like, <laughs> at least. And I was like, damn, really? And he was like, bro, yeah, it's your first record. No one's going to listen to fucking 17 songs. No, get out of here. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, he's right. Because I don't listen to records that are that long ever, ever. Like, you have to be my favorite band for me to do that. Um but yeah, but it was cool. Those songs got in, used up. They got used on that Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy thing. So that was cool. It all worked out the way it should have. Continuing on the kind of like act structure. I feel like the, the the first one is kind of like the, kind of like the heaviest hitting in a way. Like it was kind of the most, you know, standout moments to me. Like, you know, the haunting synths in Mustang or in Boomer, like the line, like, you can't hurt me. I've been buried alive by the devil that's in the them hills. Like those are like two of the big moments on the record for me that kind of, 
you know, really, I feel like, hell yeah, this is my shit. <laughs> Can you talk about kind of, I guess, just like your approach to having, you know, like like we were talking earlier about kind of like the, the piecemeal way you write, but like what's kind of like the approach to centering a song around these moments? Ooh, God, I wish I was as smart as you think I am, Scott. <laughs> it's not that, it's not that deep. Like it's never, whew, I try to keep things as natural as possible. And like, I honestly look at a song almost like a piece of writing. Like I look for, the peaks and valleys, you know, like, I'm like, where's the song taking me? Like, where's the moment? How can I build that moment more? Like, how do I create more tension? How do I create more drama? You know, like, I love like, I like thinking that I can create theatrical moments in music. Like, I like thinking that I create dynamic music. And, and I guess I'm always thinking about that. And I'm always thinking about that way more than I'm thinking about choruses and bridges. Like I, I've, I know a lot of songwriters that are like, oh shit, well, what's the bridge? What's the chorus? And like on a lot of my songs, like, like Mustang, for example, like doesn't have a chorus. It's like two verses and three bridges. Like it, almost every single section is different. Um, you know, far is the same way. There's no section that repeats, you know, and a lot of my songs are that way because I don't like, I don't think people really need choruses. Like they just want the moment, you know, like what's it going to be. And so that's what I write for. But I, yeah, I guess that's kind of how I approach songwriting is really like truly what is the call? What's the song asking me for? And like, what, what are the, uh, what are, what's the other bullshit that's pulling me in a different direction? Do I just like feel like there needs to be a chorus? Cause it sounds right. Like, well then it's probably, no, like, I might not need it, you know, <laughs> like there might be something, it might be better for the song did not be that long or whatever. I love short songs. Like it's 11 tracks. I think the record's 34 minutes. It's like, I was so proud of me. I was so proud of that. Like, I, because I, like I said, like I look at songs and records like writing and like shorter is always better. Like it's, you know, succinct is always better. So I was, I was like, good job, Artis. You're an adult for, for not having a long ass record. Good job. <laughs> Especially after the the paring it down, it really definitely like speaks to <laughs> speaks to the your ability to do that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yo, I, I you know, I need to listen to the advice that is coming <laughs> to me and <laughs> and make this thing short. Um and that was smart. So, you know, and I, you know, I have extra you know, I've got other songs now. I'm just like when will I put these out? Who knows? <laughs> awesome. And I mean, this is just kind of an out of curiosity question, but um, like what's kind of the song that you're most looking forward to people hearing on Friday? Stone Meadows. What, what is it about that one? <laughs> uh, well, it's Stone Meadows and Flage God. Um, Stone Meadows, I just think it's the best song I've ever written. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I did th- this is what I've, what I've wanted to make a song like this for years. It's like, <laughs> I love that song. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think it's a great song. I, I wish I had a better answer. And then for Flashing God, um, I think it's, like, such a simple and smart song. Like, the structure is so simple. I, it, and, like, I was, like a lot of songwriters, like, I'm always striving for the shortest route, like, the simplest, most, like, emotionally hard-hitting thing. And, like, Flashing God isn't an emotional song, but I feel like it's a very, like, it feels spiritual to me. Like, it, it feels like, 
it feels so deep and I think it's so good. <laughs> and, I just want, and I just want people to hear it because I'm like, I'm like, am I right? Is this song really fucking good? And like, I just need to know, like, I need to know if it's as good as I think it is. Cause I think it's great. And, um, you know, so those are two songs and like, and it's like a house song and like, I'm making a lot of house music right now, <laughs> like with my friends and like, I'm, all, I'm always like, Oh my God, I want to do a house EP. I want to do a house EP. And you know, that like Flaggy God was kind of a way for me to be like, will you guys accept if I put out a house EP? <laughs> like, if I do this, can we just, can we just let it happen? Can it just be good? I don't want to talk about why. I just, I just need to know if it would be good. So, you know, I'm always like just trying to see what, what could fly and what, what's maybe not, not okay. We've kind of talked about the, you know, lack of like a specific genre in order to like define your music. Um, is there like, has there been a descriptor that anyone has used that has kind of like felt like it hit the nail on the head for you? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm sure someone has, but I just can't remember right now. <laughs> um, but I think all of them are are fine. You know, like I'm, uh, I haven't seen anything and been adverse to it. So I think they're all true. Like, you know, I think it's been cool to kind of watch people say that I'm all of those things at the same time mm-hmm. because you know I think that's more accurate I think that's more representative and, and I feel like most songwriters are multiple things at one time like you know I don't you know I don't think of Prince as like a rock and roll player he's like a rock star pop star funk star everything he's everything <laughs> it's like you know that's I think that's like just a healthier way to talk about people for sure yeah I mean I think the breakdown of genre has been, you know, has led to some so much interesting music in the last few years, though. And I mean, I know you're kind of already on to bigger and better things just about, you know, heading up to Maine in a couple weeks for uh, pre-production for like the new album. How's that kind of stuff like moving forward to coming together and everything? Oh, it's going to be better than this one. (laughs) It'll be great. You know, I'm excited about it. I've been recording a lot. So yeah, I go up on Wednesday, actually. I'm going to Maine with my buddies, my my girlfriend, you know, just like a small group of people. Then just start poking at some of the songs, you know, mm-hmm. just to see, like, if they're good. Um, I really want to take, you know, like I said, like, I think time is really important, and I want to take even more time. Like, I put out two records this year, so I feel like I don't have to put a record out next year if I don't want to like you know I can you know let's see what happens with touring in the next year and a half and I'll plan for you know putting something out around that you know but it's going to kind of take my time and make these songs just as good as I possibly can and now that I have like I can ask more people you know I've my circle has opened up a little more I've got like more people I can reach out to and hopefully maybe a little bit more money to play with and you know just keep keep making things better you know i'm excited about that i'm excited to see who i can work with next for sure yeah and um do you have any plans on how you're going to celebrate the uh, release on friday i'm um, just gonna be like in the woods you know i'll just be kind of i'll be up in maine just yeah. working on the next thing i mean i think that's the best way i mean it's i feel like that's like a really kind of good picture of like who i am like i've always tried to move forward as fast as i and as hard as i can in life and you know you know you win and and you keep keep moving you know it's never over you know like nipsey says the race continues right <laughs> i believe that so i i just want to keep working and 
I want to be known as someone that works hard. Well, if it has anything to say about that, that was my first thought when you were saying that. It was like, that's such a Bartese thing to do. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my thing. I just, I, you know, it's because I don't think I'm very good, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, I just got to work harder than everyone. Like, because if I work, you know, that's like, whether that's true or not, that's the whole, the whole thing. I feel like that kind of wraps in nicely to, uh, you know, how I like to end every show, which is just by asking for the piece of advice or something you've been thinking about, something you've been practicing lately that you think, you know, might help the audience. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like one of the big messages behind Live Forever is like, I didn't know like for years, like what it was like to, you know, I didn't know how much control over like my life I actually had. Like, I felt like I lived my whole life just trying to like make people comfortable around me. And like, you know, I I never really did the things I wanted to do in life. And I feel like it really held me back. And until I realized that I could kind of build whatever I wanted and that like, I was actually onto something that people just didn't get yet you know, I was okay with being alone because I I knew like that I was moving in a direction that I wanted to be in. And I feel like it's important like for people, especially like black people, you know, that don't have a bunch of examples or like living in like the country or like in a rural area, like, you know, you can like do whatever you want. (laughs) And, and that's kind of like the message behind the record. It's like, these songs make sense because I made them. And it it, it makes sense because of what I've lived through and what I've experienced. That's why it works. Like sonically, these songs don't go together, but like my voice ties them together. And I think that like their experiences and their voices can, you know, create new worlds too and do whatever they want to do. So that's kind of what it is, what it's all about. I saw in one of like the interviews you did recently or whatever, I saw, you know, kind of the talk about world building. And I feel like that you know, it's kind of something that I typically see more in like the, talking about video games and stuff like that. But it, I feel like it fits so well with like your music specifically too. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Like, cause I, someone asked me the other day, they were like, what's the like message behind this record or whatever. And I was like, live forever. I was like, say goodbye to pretty boy was kind of like asking the question of like, what would happen if there were more black brown bands that were big in the indie rock space like wouldn't that be great (laughs) and and this record is kind of like and if there were more they could be like this like you know here's an example you know like a world we can build Uh, like making this genre better you know like you know like this the like rock is just like suffered (laughs) over the last 15 20 years because they you know haven't grown like with the culture you know like that's why hip hop is like way bigger. It it's, it represents culture. Like it's it moves with people. You know, people can grow with it. Like this stuff. You know, the last fifteen years, rock music. There's not a lot of bands that we've been able to grow with. Like there's not a lot of Jay Z's or you know <laughs> you know it's not a lot of Beyonces. You know, of course there's only one Beyonce. But you know what I mean. Like there's not a lot of people like that. And it's because like rock has systematically shut people out who are leading culture, which is you know, not white guys, you know, and it's a, a problem. <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, once they, once, you know, they accept what's actually happening, you know, like, you know, this, this genre, this space can become fascinating again, you know, and it can inspire people and it gets better for everybody. Like, you know, this isn't like a case for diversity for black people. It's like, 
you know, make this thing better so that everyone has better shit. You know, like <laughs> this makes music better for everybody. Like everyone gets inspired by things and, you know, everyone can make better shit. Uh, I mean, is there anything else that you've kind of been itching to get out about the record that, you know, we haven't hit on? Um, yeah, I'm itching to get out about the record. I don't know. I just hope people like it. It's just been journalists that have heard it. And I'm like, cool. Like, but I still don't know if it's good. Like, I want to know <laughs> what people think about this freaking record. Because I feel like I've just been talking about it for like a fucking year. And I'm like, let's just get it over with. Like, take the bandaid off. I want to know if it's good. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, all, that's all I have to say. I'm ready to just move on to the next thing. I hope it's good. And that's all. And there you have it. My conversation with Barty Strange. He's one of the people in music I've known the longest, and it warms my heart to see him catching on with so many people. Like I said earlier, you better believe the hype. Flying the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to grow the show, Kevin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyingTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyingTheCallPod at gmail.com. Black Lives Matter. Please vote this November. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast.